This is the Fire Life. Medic 11. We still have quite a bit of fire in the water. The podcast that takes you inside Adams County Fire Rescue. Adams County Offside. And introduces you to the brave men and women keeping our community safe. When the tone drops, we're all family and we all take care of each other. Uh, right now we have an outside fire. Roger, I copy. This week on the Fire Life. Engine 11. Paramedic Rachel Van Winkle. I want to be a part of a crew where I depend on them, they depend on me. It's mutual. You know, no matter what, you got their back. And Lieutenant Jason Seitz. Almost everybody who calls 911, it's their worst day. I know. We go into that scene as relaxing, as calming as we can be, easing effect on the family members and pull them away from the situation. Because nine times out of ten, it is their worst day. This is The Fire Life, the podcast that takes you inside Adams County Fire Rescue. Welcome to episode number three of The Fire Life. I'm Julie Brownman. I'm the PIO of Adams County Fire Rescue. And my co-host for this episode is paramedic Rachel Van Winkle. Hi, Rachel. How's it going? Amazing. How are you? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. All right. So I picked you to do this because hopefully everybody gets a chance to do this, but um, for multiple reasons. One, we're going to talk to your lieutenant, Lieutenant Sites, later on in the show. You guys have this awesome, awesome crew, but you haven't been here for very long, but you've been so accepted very quickly. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with your attitude. And I think that has a lot to do with your background. So tell me about how you got to where you are now. I born and raised in Miami, Florida, went to school in Wisconsin. I uh, knew I wanted to join the Air Force. I tried to go in as uh, firefighting, but I ended up security forces with sent me to Anchorage, Alaska. So I lived there for a few years. I was a security forces, essentially a cop in the Air Force, um, but still had a uh, desire to be a firefighter. So eventually I got out, came down here for paramedic school, and luckily my first go round got picked up by Adams County here. And now Denver's my home. So what do you want to do in the like? What do you want to do in the Air Force? I wanted to, to do be a firefighter. firefighting. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? Well, interesting story. So I, I have my degree, and a lot of people are like, "Why didn't you go an officer as uh, you know into the military?" And I I've known since and maybe out of high school that I wanted to do firefighting, um, and I wanted hands-on firefighting to be you know not an officer. I wanted to be a firefighter. So I enlisted in the Air Force instead of went going officer route so I could do firefighting um, and then ended up getting security forces job instead so I did that for four years which I military did a number of great things for me um, like what well I paid for my uh, education to go to paramedic school but no most notably I, I've always been a hard worker but it made me a really hard worker uh, it made me um, responsible, uh, have respect, um, dedication, and a lot of it, uh, notably since we're talking with my lieutenant uh, later, it it taught me about uh, leadership and and I saw different kinds of leaderships, good and bad, and it made me uh, appreciate the good ones and the characters, characteristics that I would emulate, would like to emulate one day if I ever decide to go that route. Oh, that's very cool. And why did you want to be a firefighter? Oh God, this funny story. So, uh, this is going to date me, but you ever seen the movie Backdraft? Yeah. Okay. Kurt Russell. Anyways, at the end of the scene, what he's... What about Kurt Russell? He, well, he was good. Exactly. He is a good looking man. Anyways, um, at the end of the movie, he's up on a bridge. He's holding on to his uh, co-worker. Co-worker's like, let me go. He's like, no, you go, I go. Let me go, bull. You go. We go. 
ever seeing that just hit a spot as as far as I, I want to be a part of a crew where I depend on them, they depend on me, and it, it's mutual. You know, no matter what, you got their back. Thick and thin, you know, in personal life, in job, like that that's the tightness, the crew. I'm even getting chills talking about it. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why I joined the military, because I was looking for that, and I didn't quite get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that is a big part of why I wanted to be a firefighter, because I, you know, everyone talks about the brotherhood and stuff, and I was just looking for that, that closeness, that crunity. How fulfilling of a career has this been for you? Um, more than I can even explain. Um, so I've been trying on and off to be a firefighter for 10 years. Um, so when I finally was blessed that Adams County picked me up, uh, I, you know, didn't want to do anything that would jeopardize it. You know, I, I knew uh, I had a great department here, great people, and I wanted to make this my home. So that's why my first year, especially, I worked my my butt off to show that I belong here, that I'm supposed to be here and you know, that I respect and want to work with all these people that I work with. How'd you make the decision to be a paramedic? Um, so I tried a few times in Alaska um, and I was an EMT there and I liked the medicine enough. Um, so I, I decided, you know, that's, I know it's more marketable to be uh, a paramedic, you know, you're dual job, you're jack of all trades, especially, you know, in the fire service, everyone's jack of all trades. So I went to paramedic school loved loved the medicine I still love the medicine um and and knew that that's what I wanted to do in in addition to being a firefighter and I think it's great here because some departments you're you're strictly a medic or you're strictly a firefighter I think we are are super blessed and lucky here because even if we're on the medic unit we get a call in our district first due on a fire I'm going in to that fire you know, that that's super cool. Even though I'm a medic, I'm going in. Now, for the second do, we might be rehab or, you know, we might, if there's a patient that they pull out, patient care, that's still cool too. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like we get the best of both worlds. So I've been lucky enough to um, go on a ride along with you and a ride along with other paramedics. And so many times you're with people that are scared and you have to be empathetic, right? But you, you can't get too involved because then every day you're going to get your butt kicked, right? So how do you deal with that? Every day I come to work, uh, no matter what anyone says, especially as a paramedic, uh, I'm not, I wouldn't say scared, but you know, you have someone's life potentially in your hands. And that's anytime anyone who says they're comfortable being a paramedic or complacent, it's time to check out. And so every day I I always wonder, you know, it's exciting, but it's also like, what, what kind of call am I going to get? I love talking with people. I love relating to people, being compassionate, you know, we're there on their worst day. Let's do what we can to make their day better. And little things help. I mean, um, it wasn't a medical call, but this morning uh, a call came out for a vehicle accident. Uh, citizen just needed help with their tire. And that's something, you know, that's, that's what we do. We're here to help, whether it's medical or fire or car accident. We're just, we're here to help. And um, if I could just make someone's day a little bit better or or help um, with medical, you know, get them to where they need to be, that that's worth it. That's that's what I'm in for. You know, as being a paramedic, things sometimes aren't gonna go your way just because sometimes that's, you know, that's how life is. But tell me about a fulfilling experience that you had. You know, there's, there's a, a lot all the time. We just had a patient last set we saw two times, Spanish speaking only, but could understand enough English. And, 
you know, I kept saying, lo siento, mi español, like, no bueno. Like, I, I don't know Spanish that well. That's about the extent. Yeah. And, and she just kept patting my arm saying, thank you, thank you. So, you know, like, even though there's language barrier, you could still work to, to make sure that they're comfortable, you know, talk to them nicely. Um, certain things to make sure that they know that you're caring about them. Uh, another call that, that I got, I actually got a card from a patient, uh, was in a bicycle accident, and we were able to keep his bike here until his daughter came and picked it up. And he just left our crew a card saying, you know, thank you for the care, thank you for taking the time to get my bike and stuff. And, you know, that's that's a big example, but even just little days, little things that we get patients just saying thank you or, you know, you really helped me out, that, that's what makes our job so f fulfilling and so rewarding. It's like the little things, right? Just it is thank totally you. the little things. And, you know, not even if you're not doing a whole lot or, or you know, just knowing that you, you help them out. It's a great profession. And I know that, I mean, you just seem so happy to be here and you've got a great crew. When we come back, we're going to talk to your lieutenant, Jason Seitz, about what makes a good crew. We'll be back on the fire life. But first, a message from fire prevention. I'm Bianca Chancho, Life Safety Educator at Adams County Fire Rescue. When it comes to children, safety should be the priority, and when it comes to fire safety, it is no exception. While many parents may be returning to work, children may be cooking and heating up their own meals, and we want to give our listeners some helpful facts to consider. Every day, at least one child dies from a home fire, and another 293 children are injured from fires or burns. 90% of all fire-related deaths are due to home fires and leave families as little as two minutes to escape after an alarm sounds. So how do parents ensure their kids are safe while at home alone? Keeping young children at least three feet away from anything that can get hot, like space heaters or stovetops, helps reduce the risk of injury. Having food available that does not require using the stove is also a great way to avoid a burn injury. Let's keep our kids safe while at home. Welcome back to the Fire Life. This is episode number three. Julie Brownman and Rachel Van Winkle. Rachel is co-hosting this interview with us. So, and this is interesting because we are interviewing her lieutenant, Lieutenant Jason Seitz. So, Rachel, is this a little weird to now be interviewing your lieutenant? Uh, slightly. Not bad. <laughs> it's so, fire. It's firehouse rules. We all get it. It's firehouse rules. Okay. So. Um, I like to ask everybody about their journey to where they are right now, because everybody has a different story. So how sure. did you get to this point? So my background, uh, originally I started in management, um, out of high school, managed a movie theater, uh, moved up and managed a couple of the EnviroTest emission centers and into district manager position. Um, saw an ad for uh, volunteer firefighters uh, over by the first home I, I lived at. And uh, I, I was like, wow, you know, I got a couple of uncles into it. I was kind of over the management thing, wasn't happy with my bosses of the direction that things were going in my career. Um, so I decided to check into it. Um, once I went ahead and uh, uh, began the volunteer service, um, I got hooked right away. Um, within that year, the department was making a big change going from all volunteer to a combination department. Um, so I went ahead and pursued the fire one, the fire two, my hazmat. Um, wanted to try to get on as a career, so I went with a lot of the guys to EMT school at Front Range um, back in the in the late 90s, um, and then we made that transition. Um, I had a hard time at first because it, it, financially it, it was really tough to do, 
um, the being in, in, in higher up management, I, I was making a lot larger of an income and had to really check myself and figure out how can I make ends meet, having a new baby, uh, a new home, um, those kinds of things. So I went ahead and, uh, and, and made the leap of faith and, and just went all in with it. How old were you when you made the transition from management to now taking a pay cut? I started volunteering at 25, 26. Uh, made it all in decision about 27, 28. And, and I told myself if I didn't get hired by the time I was 30, I was going to back off and just pursue the volunteer side of things. And it was about a week before my 30th birthday when I got my letter giving me a job offer. What's the benefit of having prior experience as opposed to, I mean, everybody does it a different way. Prior experience, meaning that just as prior far life as volunteer. Experience. No, like coming from. Oh, um, what it helped me with was um, I understood, in my opinion, understanding that you have to um, there's certain games that you need to be able to play politically in order to get along in the firehouse um, and I understood that you know I had to be on my game to um, in order to get hired here so I just really learned from the guys that did get hired and what they did um, and and it, it wasn't like you know a newbie coming through the door not having much life experience I was very grateful to actually have this opportunity versus um, somebody who maybe just was handed a position at, and, and, and I would say 21, I'm not gonna throw an age at it, but somebody who wasn't necessarily had a real, you know, they didn't swing a hammer before or run a jackhammer or something like that, and the job was handed to them. I feel that those individuals wash out more in the fire service than those of us that are so grateful to have just hit this once in a lifetime opportunity. One of the things that I've noticed about this crew is you guys are really tight and you make sure, I feel like you really, really think about everything that you're, you're doing with these guys. Um, Rachel, why is this crew, why do you guys, is it such a good crew to be on? We're fun. I think we're all hard workers, but yet we know how to, how to relax and have fun. And none of us are super serious. We know how to take a joke and laugh and let it roll off. Uh, we don't th take things personally. Um, and we just really mesh well together. We're all, you know, in it to work together and make sure everyone succeeds. Rachel's our glue, I'm not right? gonna lie. She's the backbone. Um, ever since she's come on board with us, um, it's been nothing but great. But I can add to that, saying that we all are very humble. We know how to show humility. Um, no matter what rank we are, we're all the same position when it comes to life-saving events. Um, so I think part of that is that, um, is that and also remembering where they came from. Each one of these individuals are now either on a promotional list or I have been promoted for various things, and they definitely, um, you gotta remember where you came from and remain humble with that. So I think that's huge with our crew. So for people that aren't used to a paramilitary system, which you guys are, and it makes sense to you guys, but a lot of the, the you know civilians don't understand that. So as an officer and as a lieutenant, how do you kind of, how do you manage, what's your management style? It's very different than out in the private sector, but how, when Rachel came in, like how do you, you know, are you evaluating personalities and? The expectation list, um, I keep my expectation list really low, uh, meaning that there's about five that I, I ask for. Most of it is do your job, know the bylaws, the rules, the SOPs, and a lot of our policies and procedures have to do with chain of command. You cannot jump the chain of command in any way, shape, or form. So that starts in the academy um, in most cases and then carries over into the firehouse. 
And as long as you understand and you have that good rapport, your 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 uh, Rachel, for example, would never ever go over my head um, because it would one ruin the crew continuity and the trust, and that's huge. You got to have trust in the firehouse, but it would also um, break break the chain of command, and therefore both of us would probably have a um, discipline that would come down on us. So is chain of command hard? Uh, from my perspective, no, but I have military background. Um, a military was very chain of command. You didn't really talk to anyone except your immediate supervisor. Um, so th that wasn't completely foreign coming in here to me. Um, you know, I just always start at the bottom level. If I could ask one of my crew members to help me out with something first, I do it. If it's something above and beyond, um, you know, I go to lieutenant sites. You know, sometimes I'm in charge of a program. Well, I'll still go to lieutenant here and, and say, hey, I need to email so-and-so about this. Okay, fine, just CC me. So it's, it's, it's a respect thing. It's also like a just, you know, don't jump your chain of command. I was contemplating whether to bring this up because there's, there's more and more women that are in the fire service. I noticed right away with Rachel, she, you fit in so well but people don't talk about you that you're a woman, they just talk about you that you're great and you're um, so well respected. How, um, when you knew you, you had a woman coming in, you probably worked with other women, do you, how do you kind of approach that, knowing it's a male-dominated field? I mean, she, she fits in so well, but is that part of, do you have to think about those well, kind of things? Um, not at all with Rachel or with any of them that I've worked with, any of the females that I've had a pleasure to work with, 85% of what we do is get along in this firehouse. You can't treat anybody any differently across the board. And, and as long as you keep it fair um, and everybody's on the same playing field and level field and the expectations aren't different, other than obviously your rookie year, there are certain certain expectations for the first year. But after that, everything is, is just falls into place. And, and part of that is just making sure that you lead by example and your crew members see um, how how this is gonna go, um, that this is the way this, you know, this is how we're doing this. And it, it, again, it's, it's a level playing field is what you gotta do. Did you have any hesitancy coming into the fire service here? Or, I mean, you've been in male dominated fields before, but how do you, how do you kind of approach that? No, I mean, you know, I, I volunteered before and, and I grew up with two brothers. Um, I was in the Air Force, so I was always surrounded by guys. Uh, you know, and I, I think my biggest thing coming into the fire service was I didn't want them to doubt my abilities physically or otherwise. So when I showed up, I just attitude and work ethic, you know, you work hard. If you can't do something, ask, practice, practice, practice. But I wanted them to know that no matter what situation we get into, you know, I'm going to be there with them and help them and work you know to get things done and to make sure we all go home safe um and i think just you know throughout the years they or yeah throughout the years they've seen that um and they they trust me and i trust them just you know like anyone should who you're working with in the fire service trust is huge in the fire service right Absolutely. i mean that has to be like the number one can you kind of talk about that 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 in all instances well um it starts off with the academy let's just say we've all gone through it we all know how to put water on the fire, how to uh, force entry on a door, how our search and rescues are gonna go. We've all been taught the same thing. We live up to the same standard. When I give an assignment on scene or in the firehouse, whether it's, you know, I need you to take care of this chore in the firehouse, I can turn my back and know that they're gonna get the chore done. There's a hundred ways to skin that cat, but they're gonna get it done. 
And that's the same expectation I have on the fire ground. When I say medic 14 crew, I need you to start ventilation. I know exactly how they're gonna do it because we've all been trained up to that level. It's not about me micromanaging. I've got a million other things that I need to worry about first on scene. I trust these guys all the way across the board, whether it comes down to CPR on scene or, or doing dishes in the firehouse. I know it's gonna get done. You guys have different levels of experience. I wanna hear from, um, but I feel like every day you're still learning something or maybe seeing something new. Always. Absolutely, if there's one thing that I, I've always been told um, and I've learned from some of my crew members is if you don't learn something new on every uh, tour, you're not doing your job. So I always make it a point to learn something new, whether it's about somebody or something I didn't know. I mean, it could be even something basic, you know, news or sports. It's just something I really try to engage, and that's what I try to instill in the crew members too. Engage like how yourself. To start the dishwasher and running. <laughs> Is that to throw that out there? <laughs> Did you not know how to start uh, the No, one of our uh, our, our uh, faithful uh, engineer out there is uh. is uh, n not of the dishwasher uh, background, so he. When Rachel was away, he's like, "Who? I got You got to show me how to do this." So, so okay. now it's a running joke that we need instructions on how to start a dishwasher. So here's another thing I learned about the fire service: if you can't take a joke, you're going to get crushed. Right. The feelings on your sleeve uh, that that's got to go away. There's no feelings on your sleeve, and, and there's obviously ethic and more. More, you know, you got to have some morals in life too. So you, as long as we keep it clean, but you cannot wear your feelings on your sleeve because the first time. <laughs> You, you fall out of line or you didn't do something the way that it's supposed to be done, you're gonna get jumped on. Right. And, and that's the fun camaraderie we have in the firehouse. And that's, again, part of that 85% of, of what we do is getting, getting along in the firehouse. You know, I have a lot of people out in the public that always want, and I think I, st I was like this when I first started. I was like, okay, you guys, tell me about the coolest call or most memorable call. I think people don't realize what they're asking. You know, because um, you do see some things that you don't want to see or some situations that you don't want to see. Do you get asked that all the time? Uh, sometimes. And, you know, we've been through a lot of calls and I can't say one is one is better or than another. Uh, I think one of the things that I like about certain calls or, or work, rem, you know, rem, stick in my head is uh, just calls like a medical call where. You know, it's not always gonna go your way, but when there's communication and we work really well, I mean, like that call, Julie, that you ran on, that PG and I, Peter and I were in the back, you know, we're both paramedics, we know what needs to get done, we just flow with each other and you were impressed on how fast we worked. Mm -hmm. Same with the fire, you know, Peter and I are in the medic, you know, we marry up with uh, Loper, who's on our crew, and we know while he's flowing water, we get dressed up, you know, we just have a routine, it works well, we flow, we kind of, predict each other's movements or what we need or what we want. And those are the calls that in my mind work really well because you, you give the patient or the situation the best chance of having a positive outcome. To add to Rachel's comments, uh, crew continuity, and there's a term that always goes around ACFR, and I'm not sure who it started from, I, I do, but uh, crunity is, is a term that gets thrown around a lot. Is that burn? Um, the no, and, and we'll we'll get into that one okay. later. But at any rate, the that's again back to that. I know how these guys; they know how each other's going to react in specific situations. For Rachel, only having two years on, and Peter only having one year on as medics, they they are the um, as we would call them docs in a box for us on scene. That we rely on them to give us medical you know, um, direction for us to, to help them do their job better because they have the ultimate authority. And for a one year and a two year paramedic to tell 
20 year guys and lieutenants engineers um, how to, how we're going to treat this patient, that that takes courage from them, but also an understanding from our, our perspective. You know, and going back to your statement about the coolest calls, you gotta remember, everybody, almost everybody who calls 911, it's their worst day. I know. So um, we go into that scene as relaxing, as calming as we can be with our training and act, act like you've been there, you know, sort of is how we approach these situations um, so that it's not surprising and overwhelming when we go in there like, a, a, you know, we may seem like it's a bowl in a china cabinet because we know that this person's sick or, or whatever, but you really got to have that calming, easing effect on the family members and pull them away from the situation because nine times out of ten it is their worst nightmare. That's interesting you say that because I was that call that you referred to so it's the first time I, I was riding along and the first time I was riding along emergent and I just sat there watching you and Peter and just there was a calmness right like there's a there's you're riding emergent so you know things are happening but I wouldn't have been able to tell that just kind of watching you and and the teamwork that was going on. How long, does that take a long time to, is that a conscious like, or you just fly, you just go into that kind of mindset? Uh, no, I mean, I think I think definitely it, it helps working with the crew, um, you know, and being together. Most of us have been together a year and a half, if not longer. I mean, I've been here for uh, two years, but you know, with this crew now, it's been almost two and a half. And you know, they're a very, very strong crew. I could tell any of the EMTs to, you know, do stuff and they, they're watching out for me too. We're very cr strong. Uh, Lieutenant has uh, some background with medical and stuff. So he's, he's, you know, great to bounce things off of or ask his opinion too. This is new for us in, in my career where we're with the same crew for more than three or six months at a time. In the past, they've really tried to move everybody around just because there's been needs for this and that and the other. And as we've uh, increased in our staffing levels and, and, you know, the taxpayers have helped us out with, with understanding the resources that we need to do our jobs better, it's really helped for us to have crew continuity and be able to maintain a crew for now almost two years. And it's something that I think that the organization has really started to uh, recognize the importance of this. Tell me what happens when you guys get to a scene and in your head you're going holy blank. Usually I have that moment on route to the scene. You kind of read the notes, get your head in that point of view of what you're going to see, what's the worst case scenario you're going to see. Um, because obviously you want to go in being prepared for something and if it's not as big as you think, uh, that's a lot easier to deal with. Um, so I just try and get into the mindset of, you know, what what potentially do I need? What, you know, to run this call smoothly? So that's where I try and, you know, think things through my head, possible uh, situations or scenarios. And then when you, you get on scene, like we talked about earlier, no matter how in your head freaked out, you, everyone's looking to you to tell them what to do. And so you, you have to be calm. You have to do what you can. And, you know, it's cliche and people have said it, but when, when in doubt, just get them into the back of the bus and go to the hospital because that's what's going to help. But, um, you know, I try and get most of the nerves out during the, the ride to the call. Are you talking to Peter, like going back and forth, or this is all going on in your head? Um, well, if I'm driving, I'm having him read the notes. That way yeah. I could get in my head what's going on. Um, not going to lie, sometimes, you know, if it's a certain call, I'll be like, okay, well, I'm going to look over those protocols just to make sure I'm on the right page. Or, you know, if it comes in unresponsive person, you know, what are some differentials that it might be that I might need to check to rule out something. So it's those thoughts that I'm thinking of, um, you know, equipment to bring in, 
you know, and, and to a certain extent, you could pre-plan it. Like, hey, grab the bag, grab the airway kit, grab this. Other times, you're just like, you have to see what you, you get. But so kind of pre-plan it, trying to think of what certain situations are. Hmm. Um, Technology's helped us out a lot with that because it's been, we, we're really starting to um, push scene size up starts at dispatch. Before it was just radio. It was, okay, this is a 911 call, you've got XYZ. So you have all in route to just start building this thing in your head or not. Now as technology has improved, we now have iPads in there and as the call taker at dispatch is taking the information, we're getting these notes. So our size ups, and particularly as the officer, Rachel and the medic crew are triage managers. They're, if there's multiple patients, their job is to um, triage the patients and get it, get tell me the resources we need. But as a whole, that scene size up um, begins at dispatch. On scene, you, you get, you know, you start telling yourself from experience, this is what you're going to do and how you're gonna handle this situation if, if it's a bus into a stadium with an airplane that just crashed. Those are the big ones. And, and the guys always make fun of me because I tell them, all right, be ready for the Super Bowl. And they're like, no, 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 sites, listen. Every game is the Super Bowl. You gotta be prepared. Every game is no bigger than the other. So, and I always have to bring myself down like, I'm trying to get the crew ready in their mind, but in my mind, I already know how I'm wrapping this around. But they got to bring me back down to earth. Like every game is a game. Let's play it. So right, I love the sports references because another thing I love about this crew is you guys like sports. Love sports very much. So right, Packers. always on Packers. Packers. Well, you're gonna might have a better. What is the Packers record right now? Uh, I think they're two and zero. They just played last night. Okay, uh, or two nights ago, and they I think won three and zero. Well, it's better not than a true three. Fan, apparently. But uh, as long as they beat the Broncos, who <laughs> did not score a single point last game. All right, moving on. Okay, moving on. Um, okay, so as an officer, do you feel you're in charge of everything? Uh, initially, yes. Initially, initially, yes. Company. All right. So, is there pressure in that, or do you have enough experience now, or you just go? Uh, it's always pressure, but it, mm-hmm. I, I'd say that you train yourself to um, handle that pressure. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you go through multiple testing processes and you know, they, we've got a good mentor program where you start out as an acting officer, you gotta cover so many things, you've gotta get so many certifications to get there. Um, you build up to this, you take so many classes and um, that you're, you feel like you're ready for everything, but it's never the same. Every scene is different. You can go in there in general. Uh, a big thing is being able to adapt well to change. You know, everything is changing on these scenes. So um, I, I feel that more and more experience, the pressure is how you deal with pressure. Um, and and the more more times you do it, the more comfortable you come with it. I could go on forever talking with you guys about different kinds of things about your crew, but um, for somebody that, so we have an academy going on and maybe people out there are listening, you know, they wanna get involved in being in the fire service. So because you guys have a great crew, give some advice to people that may be coming out of the academy in, in any department or thinking about it, like keys to fitting in. And do you want, and you wanna fit in? Or you wanna be? Absolutely, yeah. um, just just relax, be yourself, don't put on a show. Uh, know your role the first year though. You do need to sit back and take it all in. Get to learn personalities, get to get to learn people's strengths and weaknesses. Um, be expected to, to, I don't, you know, the thought of you're gonna become a, a janitor and a, and, a, and a maid and clean up after everything. No, but you gotta understand that you need to prove yourself, we all have. And how you do that is perseverance. Just don't give up, keep trying. Again, this is one of the greatest careers you're ever gonna have in your lifetime that people, that they're knocking at the door to come in here. So I want you to keep keep moving forward, communicate, um, seek help as needed. 
my advice uh, is find a good mentor like Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a respect thing. I work with a bunch of people that have been here a long time. They've done their time. They have a lot of uh, experience and stories. So when I came in, I knew my job was to, you know, shut up and in color, as they say in the military, but shut up and, and do your job, L listen and not be heard. Uh, and it was a, a respect thing. Like, I know they have all these experiences. So I came in like, okay, I'm going to clean. I'm going to do the chores before they could even ask because it's me respecting the time that they've they've been here, their time they've they've put in. So anytime I could do something to make their job easier, um, that was that was my goal. Then, as like for me being a medic, when I'm running calls, they know I work hard for them. They're gonna work hard for me. You know, just work hard. Doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> no, that was perfect. That's exactly what you want to do. So as we close this podcast, I'm going to let you do um, a Nuggets prediction for next year. I know we're big Nugget fans here. I mean... Number one, LeBron's going down. Do <laughs> you have anything you want to say about the Packers? Uh, go Packers. They unfortunately don't play the Broncos this year, which that would have been a nice, fun, uh, croonity event, but we'll have to wait till next year. And there you go. That's a wrap on The Fire Life, episode number three. Medic 11. Engine 11. You've been listening to The Fire Life. Emergency traffic, emergency traffic. A podcast by Adams County Fire Rescue. Adams County Update. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Roger, we've ordered two more rescues for you. And check out our webpage, acfpd.org, for more on the services we offer, fire prevention information, and how to become a firefighter at Adams County Fire Rescue. Medic 11. Thanks for listening, and please stay safe.